Before we come to the gospel text, I'm going to read from my grandfather's Bible, actually, which is older than I am. It was given to him the summer before I was born. First Peter, which is the New Testament reading for this week. When I saw a while back that this was the, the reading for the day, it delighted me because this is my grandfather's favorite verse, this passage that I'm about to read. It's tattooed here on my arm. When he died on Good Friday a few years ago, I convinced my grandmother to let me get a tattoo of his favorite verse, joy unspeakable and full of glory. That was the phrase that he would, he would always pray over us and testify about. And she told me, it's fine, you can get that one tattoo, and then after I'm dead, you can get the others if you want. <laughs> and I kept my side of that promise. So this is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy, obviously this is King James, by the way, abundant mercy has begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, a lively hope, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, one that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time, kept by the power of God, wherein you greatly rejoice, Though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now you see him not, you are yet believing. You rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And that is underlined in his Bible. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, whom having not seen you love, in whom though now you see him not, you are yet believing. Again, I grew up with my grandfather sharing that in almost every service, that to know God is to know joy unspeakable and full of glory. And invariably, when he would say that line, he would cry. His voice would break and his eyes would fill up with tears. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. So when I saw the reference, the reading for this week, I knew I wanted to, to speak about it. And as soon as I read it, a while back now, I realized I don't know what to say about it. It's precious to me. But I was struck by that line, whom having not seen you love. And what came up in my heart immediately was, do I love God? Do we? And so I just asked God, do I love you? Do I love you? Do we? That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. What, what does it mean to love God? Is it all right, Julie, if I, if I share? I guess you can say no. You absolutely can say no. Okay, she, everyone sees she's nodding yes, right? <laughs> so we get in the car this morning. I'm quiet. I usually am quiet in the mornings, and especially when I'm speaking. And we're riding down the road, and 
the first words out of her mouth were, I don't know, this God thing seems a little crazy to me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, this God thing seems a little crazy to me. And I said, well, good morning to you too, honey. How are you? And that's not an accident, I don't think. It's not an accident at all. I, I think, and this is not a reflection on our conversation exactly, but I, I think a lot of us are almost certainly feeling that right now. And here's, and here's why, I think. For many of us, God names whatever it is that makes things happen that we can't explain. When we talk about God, what we're really talking about is the power that makes the world work. God becomes shorthand for providence, becomes shorthand for whatever happens. And because that's how we just operate, if things are going well in our life, God is so good. And if things are not, I don't know, this God thing seems a little crazy. What we're doing is identifying what is happening to us with God's goodness and care for us directly. And that's not our fault. That's what's been, that's in our mother's milk. That's built into the way we've been taught to live in this world. That's part of what it means to be in a kind of weakly Christianized society, superficially Christianized, in which we, we're kind of inundated with Christian phrasing you can't go to the gas station without hearing praise and worship, but it's superficial. It doesn't bring us up against the reality of what it means to love God and to be loved by God. And in a time like this, a time that is a time of war, a time of pandemic, a time of social upheaval, and all times are difficult, but we're living in this difficult time. And when things are especially difficult and anxiety is especially high, it's hard to feel like God makes sense because the world doesn't make sense. What is happening doesn't make sense. And in those times of upheaval and dis disruption and unrest, we turn in. We turn in. And we start to reflect on ourselves. Oh, Bishop... Every morning. This is from Frederick Buechner, is that right? Every morning you should wake up in your bed and ask yourself, can I believe it all again today? No, better still, don't ask it till after you've read the New York Times. <laughs> till after you've studied that daily record of the world's brokenness and corruption, which should always stand side by side with your Bible. Then ask yourself, if you can believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ again for that particular day. If your answer is always yes, then you probably don't know what believing means. At least five times out of ten, the answer should be no, because the no is as important as the yes, maybe more so. Thank you, Bishop. Absolutely. Absolutely. So here we are in a time of, it's hard to believe that 
the things that are happening are God's doing. And when we turn in on ourselves and we start to reflect, and again, I'm doing this with my wife's permission, although she may revoke it at any moment. The other part of our conversation, but what one, one thing led to the other, is I don't know about this God thing. It seems a little crazy right now. To I'm sick of myself. I'm sick of myself. Those two things are related. Because what happens is when, when things are just, when you've read the New York Times, when you've seen this world and its brokenness and you've been forced to see it up close because of something that's happened to you or people you love or something that's happened on a scale that you can't ignore, then you turn in on yourself. And part of this is our religious upbringing in which that doubt that we sense, we immediately feel shame for having. What's wrong with me that I don't love God? What's wrong with me that I don't believe in God? What's wrong with me that I'm questioning what's happening? And all of a sudden you're caught in the cycle of self-awareness, bad self-awareness, and you get sick of yourself. And so I'm sitting with this passage in 1 Peter. I'm thinking about my sweet grandpa and how much he loved God, how tender he was. And I just say to God, I don't know if I love you and I don't know if I know how to love you. And what I want to share with you in the next couple of minutes is just what Jesus taught me this week. The first thing is this. Of course you don't know. How would you? And I stumbled into, I would say Jesus led me to, Julian of Norwich, who's a medieval English theologian and mystic. She writes during a time of incredible upheaval. Her, during her lifetime, she lived through the Black Death, she lived through an economic collapse. In her village, there was an outbreak of war, and she herself had horrific migraines and other in, internal issues, physical issues, that, were, that left her in incredible pain. And on top of all that, she was confined to a cell. She was a monastic. Not a prison cell, but a prayer cell. So as She's in the grip of that pain, in the middle of that chaos. She has the showings, the revelations of divine love. And one of the things that Julian says is God, she's, she's reflecting on St. Augustine. St. Augustine, as you know, said that God is nearer to us than we are to ourselves. And she's reflecting on that line and she says, God is nearer to us than, to, than we are to our own souls, which is basically Augustine. But then she adds this. And therefore, it is readier and more easy to come to the knowing of God than to know our own souls. It is readier and more easy to come to the knowing of God than to know our own souls. So the first thing that Jesus showed me this week is that in a time of anxiety, when you get turned in on yourself and you're sick of yourself, you can't know yourself. And you sure can't know yourself knowing God. Knowing God is possible. Knowing yourself and knowing whether or not your knowing of God is legitimate is not possible. So stop it. Knowing God is possible. Knowing yourself and knowing whether or not you really know God is not possible. Give it up. It doesn't matter that you know that you know God. What matters is that you are known. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. It's not God in the abstract. 
Notice in this passage from 1 Peter, he's writing to people who are suffering. Did you notice this line? You are kept by the power of God. Now, in the world that I was given, kept by the power of God meant kept from difficulty. Kept by the power of God means what could possibly go wrong? I have the power of God keeping me. How could sickness touch me? How could scandal touch me? How could confusion or doubt touch me? God keeps me in his power. But Peter's entire point is you are kept by the power of God in the suffering and in the trial. The power of God doesn't keep us from anything. It keeps us in everything. What does Paul say? We are more than conquerors in all of these things. Not over them, not around them, but in all of these things. While your life is going to hell in a handbasket, you are kept. And that's the only time you're kept. The rest is just good luck. You know you're kept when you can see none of my circumstances are going well. I say this a lot. I believe it. When we say God is good all the time, if all we're doing is describing how our lives are going, that's not a confession of faith. But when our lives are not going well and something wells up in us that says God is good all the time, that defiance can be a sign that the Spirit is at work. Peter's writing this in the midst of this pain, this exile. He's writing as an exile to exiles in the midst of suffering and trial. And what does he say? Not you should love God, but you do love Jesus. And this is what I saw this week. It's embarrassing, 46 years old, bishop-elect, to just be stumbling into this truth. But we are not supposed to tell people that they should love God. I heard Brennan Manning years ago. If you don't know Brennan Manning, you should, you should look him up. Brennan Manning saying that the worst thing we can do is should all over people with our religion. And this is the kind of thing he means. Don't tell people they should love God. Don't tell yourself that you should love God. That generates the kind of self-awareness that's bad for you. It's bad for me. I can't love God, but I can love Jesus. What's the difference? God is an abstraction. God very quickly fades away into whatever it is that's making happen what I'm experiencing. But Jesus is somebody. He's got a body. He's got a mom. He's got a history. He's got enemies. He has a smell, a sound. Jesus is somebody. And what's striking in this passage is that Peter, writing at the end of his life, in the midst of exile, two exiles, says this, Jesus, whom having not seen you love. Well, how have they fallen in love with Jesus? These people who've never seen him. That's the question that was in my ear suddenly. How did they love me if they didn't see me? Well, first, because Peter loved him. 
Bishop told us about going to Rome. I don't know if you've shared it with, with the whole church yet, but I would love for you to at some point about being there at the tomb of St. Peter in Rome. So imagine yourself there now. There's the tomb of a man who was with Jesus and got everything wrong. Try to find a passage in the Gospels where Peter gets anything right. I love that so much. But he stayed close. And he stayed close all the way to the end. All the way to the end. So the fundamental reason these people love Jesus is they love Peter, and Peter loves Jesus. And the, the point that cascaded in on me is I love Jesus. Yes, I, I do love Jesus. Why? Because Posse loved Jesus. My grandfather loves Jesus. Because my bishop loves Jesus. Because my pastor loves Jesus. Because you love Jesus. And every once in a while, I have had that love too, that feel, that fire. Abraham Heschel says, faith is being true to a time in which you had faith. And love is being true to a time in which you felt it. You knew for that moment, yes, I love you, Jesus. Peter loved him. And therefore, everybody Peter talked to, they could feel it on him. And the fundamental way, the first way, the primary way that people fall in love with Jesus is they fall in love with the way you look and sound when you're in love with Jesus. And that's the only way to love God, because any other God isn't the real God. The God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. And so I said, yes, I love you, Jesus. And I know why I love you, at least in part. But how... Do I share that with anyone who doesn't already love Jesus? How do you talk about it in a way that doesn't should all over people? That doesn't shame you or them for not loving Jesus? And I, I, I mean, take this for what it's worth. I heard a giggle, like, oh, silly boy, just tell him to look at me. And that brings us to the gospel. That brings us to the gospel. This is the story of Thomas. We all know it or think we do. One of the things that struck me recently about the gospel that I'd not considered before is that it actually doesn't say that he showed them his wounds. It says that he showed them his hands and his side and then said to Thomas, put your hand in my side. Now that may have been wound, but it might be something we can't name. But leave that aside for now. This is what, what I want you to hear in the gospel. Let me go to it. I want to read this to you. And I want you to listen for what they're experiencing of Jesus and what they don't. And I'm almost done. So they're in a locked room for fear of the Jews, it says. Jesus comes and stands among them and says, peace be with you. The peace of God, which he had promised that he would give them. The peace I give, I give not as the world gives. The peace I give, the world cannot take away. 
After having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Again, perhaps his wounds or perhaps some mystery that bears witness to what had once been wounded. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So notice John tells us when he just appeared in the room saying peace, it didn't give them peace. Only when he showed them his hands and sighed and then says peace, do they receive it. They have to see him. They have to see Jesus. They have to see the man who suffered on the cross, the man that they loved the man whose voice they recognize, the man whose face they knew, whose smell they knew. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive, they are forgiven. If you retain, they are retained. Those sins are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. Now, why was he not with them? Well, maybe he was... He had gotten COVID and he was home in quarantine. I don't know why he's not there. Maybe he was deer hunting. It was deer season. I don't know why he's not there. He could have been on a wellness retreat. I don't know why Thomas is not there, but he's not there. And what I love is that Jesus does not hunt him down. And neither do the others. All they do is say, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas is like, well, good for you. Good for you. I'm feeling a little grumpy after my wellness retreat, and I, I need to see him for myself. And Jesus doesn't show up on Monday afternoon at work. He just waits. And when they gather again, as we're gathered right now, Jesus appears. And what does Jesus say? Peace be with you. Then he says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? And I love this question. He doesn't tell him you have believed because you've seen me. He just tells him to consider it. Ask yourself, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, notice what happens here. They see Jesus. They hear Jesus. They feel Jesus. They smell Jesus. He breathes on them. What's the only thing left? That, that's not rhetorical. What's the only thing left? They've seen him. They've touched him. They've heard him. They've smelled him haven't tasted him. John chapter 6. I am the bread of life. And unless you eat my body and drink my blood, my life is not yet in you. When Jesus says more blessed are those who do not see, what he means is more blessed are those who taste and see that the Lord is good. How do you fall in love with God? Fall in love with Jesus. How do you fall in love with Jesus? Get around people who are in love with Jesus and stay close. And every time you can, 
Listen to his story as they tell it. Listen to Julian talk about Jesus. Even when you don't believe a word of it, just listen to her believe it. Even when you don't believe it, listen to Beekner believe it. Even when you don't believe it, listen to your wife or your children or your husband or your neighbor or your enemy or your bishop who believes it. And more than anything else, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen.